Amen. You guys also got a note says uh, kind of a phrase report that God is restoring this young lady's marriage. I'm tickled about that. Also, a uh, conga boy told me he forgot to announce it, but the kid stuff is next Sunday. Kid stuff's next Sunday between services. All right, so you got your outlines, get your outline out. I want you to fill them out this week. Amen? Would you do that? Identity theft. Man, it costs billions. It costs lots of euros and pesos and all that other monetary things. I remember reading somewhere it was in 2018, 1.5 million people in America, in the USA, their social security numbers were stolen and people got their taxes, filled them out and got their tax returns. I wish they'd have got mine and paid them. <laughs> I would give them the thing. But don't you know that there is an even more evil and sinister thief of your identity? His name is Satan. He wants to steal far more than your money. He wants to steal your, your true identity of who and what God created you to be. He wants to hide your true identity. He wants to diminish your true identity. He wants to confuse your true identity. Satan don't want you and me to know who we really are. Satan doesn't want us to know who God wants us to be. Satan doesn't want you to know the power that you have. As a child of God. You got power. You got power. You know, I talked to a lot of folks during the week, and, and you know, one of the reasons that you're so, so stressed out is there's this, this unseen battle going on in your life over your identity. And you're stressed out. This battle is going every single moment of the day. But I need you to understand this. Satan is not as powerful as God. He's not as powerful. Satan can't create. Satan can only distort. He can only pervert. He can destroy, but he cannot create. He distorts, he perverts, and he destroys whether it's sex, money, beauty, power, and he does it with your identity. He uses a number of different tools just, just so you'll know to confuse you about your identity. He uses hurt. He uses pain and trauma. Because I'm going to tell you, if Satan can get you angry, if he can get you bitter, if he can get you ashamed, then he will distort your true identity. Secondly, he uses other people's opinions. I got news for you. People lie all the time. 
about you, peers, parents, partners, enemies, friends. I want to tell you something. The things they say just aren't true. And Satan uses other people to say things about you to distort your identity. The third tool that he uses, he uses the culture. He uses the media. And you feel like you should be like that instead of who God truly made you to be. The fourth thing he uses, thoughts that he suggests and puts into your mind. You're no good. You're worthless. You'll never amount to anything. You're going to fail. The fifth thing in this toolbox that I put down is he uses the things that you tell yourself. The lies you tell yourself. The sixth thing I put down here is he uses your, your feelings. Amen. I'm telling you, feelings are, are a terrible predictor of truth. Feelings lie. And so today, we're, we're talking about the last three weeks on this, this foundation of a life well lived. Today, we're going to learn some steps about your true identity in Christ. What God says about you. Knowing who you really are. And what God thinks ab about you. I'm going to tell you something, guys. Your happiness is directly connected to your identity. And how you see yourself. And if you don't know who you truly are, then you can't be truly happy. You can't be truly successful. You can't be truly fulfilled. And, and if you don't know who you are, it's going to be hard for you to relate to people. Your relationships are going to suffer. So it's important. Today's important. I want you to write it down. Who do I know who I really am? We've got to answer that question. We only know ourselves through Jesus Christ. Apart from Him, we can not know our life. We can't know our death, and we certainly can't know our purpose. There's lots of truth in the Bible about our true identity. Today we're only going to focus on, on, on five aspects of our true identity. I believe that if you can build your life, and, and if I can build mine around these five aspects, we can build a solid foundation. And these five are found in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. It's at the top of your outline. It says this, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. This is God's true view of you in Christ. Let's fill out these blanks real quick. Some of you guys are inching to put something in them blanks. I know how you are. You're OCD and so am I, so I get along with you. In Christ, number one, I am completely accepted. I am completely accepted. Why is this important? Because I'm telling you, some of the deepest wounds in your life come from rejection. I'm telling you guys, some of the deepest wounds, male, female, 
whatever, they come from rejection. Rejection hurts. We, we, spend a, we spend a lot of time in our lives trying to earn acceptance from our parents, from our peers, from our, our friends, you, you know, from the folks we respect. We spend a lot of time trying to earn acceptance from folks we envy. And this drives us. All this drives us to, that, that we be accepted, and it influences everything in our lives to the clothes we wear, to the cars we drive, to the houses we buy, to the careers we choose. We buy stuff. We buy property. We do this to earn acceptance. Guys, there's pain from not being chosen on a team. There's pain from being the last one. You know, I never wanted to be the last one. I used to tell them how good I was. Just so I wouldn't be the last one. There's pain in that. But being chosen does a lot for your self-worth, doesn't it? Made you feel good if you was the first one picked. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, you have been chosen by God himself. Amen? You have been chosen. You are picked. Well, why am I completely acceptable? I gave you some becauses right there. Because God chose me before everything. God chose me before everything. Ephesians 1, 4 says, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight by his love. He chose us before the sun. He chose you before the oceans. He chose you. You are acceptable. You're acceptable. Secondly, because this, Jesus made me acceptable. He made me acceptable. He made you and me acceptable by his death on the cross. Titus 3, 7. Write those down. I, I wish I'd put them in there, but I didn't. You can go back and look them up later. Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. He made us acceptable to God and gave us the hope of eternal life. He made us acceptable not based on our performance, but what he did. It's not based on who you are, but who Jesus is. You are acceptable. Jesus died for you. Say that with me. I am acceptable. One more time. That's kind of like a wave. Am it acceptable? All right. Number two, in Christ, I am extremely valuable. I'm extremely valuable. Guys, your life is, is priceless. First Peter 2 9, it says, I'm, I'm drawing from that first. First verse, you are a holy nation belonging to God. Well, what makes something value or valuable? Value is based on, on several things. And, 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 and number one, who owns something? That's, that's the first thing value is dependent upon. Who owns it? Who owns it? I'm going to tell you something. See these shoes? 
If I was to put these shoes right here, and then I put a pair of, of, of Lady Gaga shoes <laughs> beside them, and I'm going to auction them off, guess whose shoes are going to bring more? Lady Gaga. Because of, because of who owned them. It's not that I'm a big fan of Lady Gaga, but for some reason she come to my mind, all right? <laughs> I want to put that out there, all right? But the owner adds value. The owner adds value. Who do you belong to? Deuteronomy 7, 6 says, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. His treasured possessions. Guys, you, as a follower of Christ, are God's treasured possession. Isaiah 43, 4 says, You are precious to me. You are precious to me. Why am I valuable? Let's fill in another blank here. Because God is my Father. He's my Father. I belong to Him. You belong to Him. You are valuable. Sarah got, Sarah got pulled over once, probably more than once, <laughs> in the Daresville. And he was looking at her license. He said, Sarah Pinker, Sarah Pinker, Sarah Pinker. You came to Jim Pinker. She said, he's my daddy. <laughs> he let her go. Because of who her dad was. I happened to be their chaplain. My kids are out breaking the law. <laughs> she said, he's my daddy. My question this morning is, do you know who your daddy is? God is your father. You are valuable. Luke 12 said, uh, 20, 74 says, this is what I want to tell that person. He says, I need more money. I need another job. I need all. Look at the birds. Look at the birds. God feeds them, and you are far more valuable to him than any birds. You are his child. Who's your daddy? Next because is this. Jesus gave his life for me. Jesus gave his life for me. 1 Corinthians 7, 23 says, You have been bought and paid for by Christ, so you belong to him. God created you. Christ died for you. Your life is valuable. Value also depends on what somebody's willing to pay. And the greatest ransom ever paid for you is Jesus Christ. He suffered and he died for you. For your salvation. For your freedom. Freedom. Anytime you're wondering how much you're worth, just look at the cross. The cross is where Jesus gave his life for you and for me. You are valuable. And maybe you need to hear it from me today. You are not worthless. You are not priceless. You are valuable in Christ. Number three, in Christ, I am eternally loved. 
I'm eternally loved. Part of verse 10 says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. When you accepted Christ into your life, you became part of his family. Those three that were just baptized are part of his family. The church, that's God's family here on earth. Hebrews 2.11 says, Jesus and the one he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and his sisters. You and me, we have the same father. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we got the same father. We're in the same family. Jeremiah 31, 3 says, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, with unfailing love. I have drawn you to myself. Nobody else loves like that. An everlasting, unfailing People's love may fail you, but God's won't. God's love is unconditional. There's no ifs. I love you if you do this. I love you if you do that. There's no becauses. I love you because you look so fine. You know, I told Angie, that's gonna, I'm going to wear out someday. I just need you to love me unconditionally because my looks will eventually wear out. No, God says, I love you, period. Period. God's love is also consistent. What's that mean? Where I come from, it means it ain't fickle. It ain't fickle. It ain't unpredictable. So I want to tell you, if you're a child of the king, don't doubt God's love. Things not, may not be going just right for you, but don't doubt his love for you. Why are you eternal love? Because, fill in your blank, God is love. God is love. Psalm 105 says, God's love is eternal and his faithfulness lasts forever. God is love. What's that mean? He can't help but love. It's who he is. It's what he does. He loves. Number four, in Christ, I love this one. I'm totally forgiven. I'm totally forgiven. Listen to it. Listen to this. Saints, you are totally forgiven. I'm on the, I'm on the back side of you. At one time, you did not know God's mercy, but now you have received his mercy. You see, guys, before you were living in guilt and shame. But now you have received God's mercy in Christ. Guys, God knew the worst thing that you would ever do before you took your first breath. And he still loves you. He's not surprised. There's good news. In Christ, my sins are wiped out. In Christ, your sins are wiped out. It's called grace. You know what I love about my father, my God? He's not out to get even with his children. He's not out to get even. I told y'all before, Romans 8 is my favorite chapter in the Bible. And if it was the only thing that I could have, if I was on a deserted island, they said, you can have any chapter in the Bible. I'd say, give me Romans 8. The very first verse says, 
there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God don't carry grudges. Write that down. God don't carry grudges. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't know about y'all, but that lights my fire. That God don't rehearse it, He releases it. He's not throwing it back up to you. The enemy is. Satan's throwing it back up to you. God doesn't rehearse. He releases. Totally forgiven. Why? Because it is God's nature to forgive. It's His nature to forgive. Isaiah 43, 5. I am the Lord who forgives your sins and I do this because of who I am. I will not withhold your sins against you. Ain't that cool? Not because you earned it. Because of His grace. Why? Because the second blank, Jesus paid for my sins. You can stop trying to pay them yourself, all right? Jesus paid them. Ephesians 1, 7 says, For by the blood of Christ we are set free. That is, our sins are forgiven. How great is the grace of God. Our sins are forgiven. Last one. I've gone through these things faster than I thought. In Christ, I am fully capable. I'm fully capable. You're not incompetent. You're not a nobody. I want to tell you something, guys. You are fully capable of who God made you to be. Oh, read it now with me. Me and Nick have been talking about this this week. You are royal priest. You are a royal priest chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God who you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are a royal priest. Oh, man, you're a priest. Every believer. You know what a priest is? It's someone that represents God to man and man to God. Uh, that's what a priest, a royal priest. You and me, we, we got direct access to God. We can talk to him. What are you supposed to do as a priest? Well, you know what? I got an answer for you. Acts 26, 18. Write that down just in case you got to go back. Here's what you are supposed to do. This is you to, uh, when, when you, for unbelievers. You are to open their eyes and turn them from the darkness to the light and from the power of Satan to God, so that through their faith in me, they will have their sins forgiven and receive their place among God's chosen people. That's what you and me are to do as, 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 as priests. It's our calling. It is your calling. And guess what? You are capable. You're capable. You're royal priest. And it's not in your power. 2 Corinthians 3, 5 and 6 says, The capacity we have comes from God. It is He who made us capable of serving the new covenant. It's not based on your power. You are 
capable. This is important because most people live their, their lives uh, with a sense of, of insecurity. Most people live their lives with a sense of they just don't measure up. They're not capable. And do you know why? Some of you need to really think about this. Let me tell you why you're still walking around thinking you're not capable. You're replaying old tapes in your memory. Amen? You're replaying these old tapes. You're listening to crap that somebody told you years ago. You're listening to the name that your dad called you. You're listening to a sin that God forgave a long time ago. And you're just replaying it over and over and over. I'm going to tell you what you need to do. You need to replace those bad memories with what God told you about you. What he says about you. That's the truth. Why are you and me capable? Because this. Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. That's why I'm capable, not by my power. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Amen. It is who lives inside of you. God's spirit inside you. So how do you reverse a curse? I'm going to tell you something. Studies have been shown. The younger you are, when somebody keeps calling you a name, the harder it is to shake it. So how do you reverse this, this curse? Here it is right here. Start believing what God says about you. Start believing what God says about you. The truth of God's word. I'm telling you. What I'm telling you to do is put these message notes somewhere. For some of you, this is maybe the, we talked about identity a lot. You ought to put those message notes somewhere where you can see them. Take this, put it on your refrigerator, put it on your, on your don't put it on your, on your speedometer, put it somewhere close. <laughs> where, where you can see it. Why? Because your self-identity is, 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 is determined by what you think the people's opinions whose opinions you value the most what they think about you. Let me say that again. Your opinion of yourself is determined by the people you respect and value the most and spend time with the most you're going to think of yourself. And that's true. Amen? Well, then if that's true, then I highly recommend that you make Jesus Christ the most important person in your life. Make him the most important person in your life. And then you'll care more about what he says than what anybody else says. Amen? Caring what other people say is a bondage. It's a prison that only Jesus Christ can set you free from. 
In Christ, you are acceptable. In Christ, you are valuable. In Christ, you are lovable. In Christ, you are forgivable. In Christ, you are capable. That's your true identity. That's your true identity. You are, are, are not what other people say you are. You are not what Satan accuses you of. Who are you going to believe? You going to believe God? Or are you going to believe your Savior? Or are you going to believe the world and what Satan says about you? Who are you going to believe? Now why or how this is a question. How should my identity, identity affect the way that I act? Write this down. This is how my identity affects the way that I act. God expects me to treat everybody else the same way he treats me. God expects me to treat everybody else the way that he treats me. He don't call you names, he calls you valuable. He don't call you needed, he calls you loved. He don't call you a criminal, he calls you forgiven. Accept one another. Show respect for one another. Show kindness for one another. Show mercy for one another. Show forgiveness to one another. Encourage the gifts of each other. Amen? That's who you are. Let me pray for you. Father God, I don't know if, if they are, but I'm pumped up. I don't know if they heard me. I am accepted. I'm forgivable. I'm lovable. I'm capable. Lord, to know that I'm chosen. Oh. That I'm a royal priest. That I belong to you. You're my dad. Oh my. Lord, I know that there's someone here struggling. They've been rehearsing old sins in their mind for a year or two now. I pray that they stop listening to that and they start listening to what you're saying. Lord, there's someone here today that is still holding on to unforgiveness. 
It's time they treat that person that they're withholding that unforgiveness as you treated them. Because that's their true identity. And they're drinking their own poison. And maybe, Lord, there's someone here today that just doesn't feel capable. Let them know that they hadn't got to do this on their own power. That you, Holy Spirit, dwell inside them. And that you haven't called them to do nothing that you're not going to equip them to do. It's not about them anyway. Lord, there's someone here today that's having trouble with control. Insecurities. And they're bitter and they're angry. I pray that they release that today. Lord, I love you. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that I pray these things. Amen.